Sometimes when it rains, it pours. It would be one thing if I deserved what was coming to me, but sometimes I just feel like there's a force out there working against me. And while there are plenty of people in situations to point the finger at, people of faith realize that there is more than meets the eye. The evil one, Satan, is also known as the adversary. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Today, we light the third Advent candle. To hold fast to Jesus, seek his forgiveness, and rest in his protection as we read God's word in Zephaniah 3, 14 to 20. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart. O daughter of Jerusalem, for the Lord will remove his hand of judgment and will disperse the armies of your enemy, and the Lord himself the king of Israel will live among you. At, at last, your troubles will be over, and you will never again fear a disaster. On that day, the announcement to Jerusalem will be, cheer up, Zion, don't be afraid. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. I will gather you who mourn for the appointed festivals. You will be disgraced no more. And I will deal severely with all who have oppressed you I will save the weak and the helpless ones. I will bring closer to those who are chased away. I will give glory and fame to my former exiles. Wherever they have been mocked and shamed, on that day I will gather you together and bring you home again. I will give you a good name, a name of distinction among the nations of the earth as I restore your fortunes before the, their very eyes, I, the Lord, have spoken. Please be seated. We're going to ask the Chamberlain and Foster families at this time if you'd come forward.
Today we are taking part in our child dedication and uh, what a, how exciting it is. We have six children that we will be ded- dedicating today, four of them in this service and what a privilege and honor it is and so much fun, right? to do this when we get a chance to do it. Uh, As believers, we know that we are called uh, and recognize that our children belong first and foremost to God. All right, bring family up. Yes, great. Uh, God in his goodness gives us uh, our children as gifts, but also as tremendous responsibilities, and you know that. And because he gives us his children uh, to us as gifts, it is our privilege and our duty to offer them back to him in dedication. And that's what these parents are here doing today. This precedent for um, dedication comes from uh, the Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 1. Hannah brought her son Samuel uh, to the house of the Lord and dedicated to him. And then we know in Luke chapter 2, Jesus' family also uh, came and brought uh, Jesus and dedication to the Lord. And so today, these parents are doing the same. And so parents, and today, uh, just to let you know who we have here, Brandon and Megan Chamberlain are here with their daughter, Elena Ray, who was born on May 11th, 2012, six years old, and Brody Lucas. Hi, Brody. Yeah, well, he's, he's trying to out-talk me here. Who he was born on Christmas Eve, uh, 2017. So uh, just getting ready for his first birthday. And, and then uh, here are Ron and Natalie Foster. And they have with them Quinn, who was born on October 6th. 2015, recently turned three years old, right? You're three years old? Yeah, all right. And then Ellie Grace, who was born on September 27th, 2017, back there. Yes, and she uh, then just celebrated her first birthday. So we are so thrilled to have them here today. And parents, I'm going to ask you at this time uh, four questions. And I want you to listen to them. And at the end, if you accept the challenge, respond, we do. And it goes like this. First of all, do you come here today to dedicate your children to God and to commit yourselves to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Do you pledge yourselves as parents to live such godly lives that you leave no stumbling block for these children? Do you promise to do all in your power to bring these children to a saving faith in Jesus Christ? And do you covenant with God to read the scriptures together, pray together, and together attend the services of the Lord in the house of the Lord? If so, will you respond by saying, we do? Now, congregation, as members of the body of Christ and the family of God, will you promise to do all in your power to assist these parents in their covenant by praying for them and by living exemplary lives before them? If so, will you respond by saying, we do? We do. do. All right. Well, we're going to start, first of all, here with Elena. And we're going to pray for you. Is that all right? We're going to pray and dedicate Elena to the Lord at this time. And so if you would bow your heads with me and let's pray. Lord, we bring Elena to you. We bring Elena here to you today. 
Lord, um, to offer her to you. We bring her in, uh, Lord, because her parents desire to offer her, Lord, in dedication to you. I pray that you would be with Brandon and Megan, Lord. Help them to be uh, wise parents, Lord, uh, uh, patient parents, loving parents. But most of all, Lord, that they would uh, raise her in the way that you would have her to do. Lord, I pray that you would watch over her, protect her. Lord, that you would protect Elena from the, the schemes of the Satan, Lord, from the diseases of this earth, and Lord, from all the challenges that may come into our li- her life, Lord, that you would lift her up. Lord, that she would come to know you at a young age, and that, Lord, she would certainly grow up to be a young lady that brings honor and glory to you. So, Father, right now, I dedicate Elena Ray Chamberlain to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you. And now Brody. Hey, Brody. All right. We're dedicating six today. Brody is the only boy, so he's holding up the mail here, the mail's for, for us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Brody. We thank you for the joy he's brought into the Chamberlain household. Lord, we pray that you would, again, bless his parents as they raise him. Lord, may you give them that extra wisdom that they need. Lord, I pray that you would just give them endurance. And Lord, may they, may they see your hand at work in Brody's life. Lord, I pray that your hand indeed would be upon him, that you would protect him. You would watch over him. Lord, you would protect him from Satan and his schemes. Lord, from the diseases of the of this world, and Father, that he would at an early age come to know you as Lord and Savior. Father, that he would um, love you, and Lord, he would grow up to be a young man who would just exemplify what it means to, to, Lord, be a follower of Christ. So, Lord, now, I dedicate Brody, Lucas, Chamberlain to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Do you want to go back to Mom? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. And now, Quinn. Hey, Quinn, can you come here? I'm going to dedicate you to the Lord, okay? I'm going to pray for you, okay? All right, let's pray for Quinn. Lord, I lift up this precious young girl to you. Lord, I pray that you would watch over her. Lord, you would strengthen and encourage. Lord, may your arms of love be around her. Father, I pray that you would uh, indeed, Lord, that you would um, bring her to you at an early age. And that, Lord, you would watch over her. And so, Father, I lift her up to you and ask that you would, um, Lord, dedicate her today to, to watch over her, Lord, that she would come to know you at an early age, that she would, Lord, be protected from Satan and his schemes. Lord, I pray for Ron and Natalie, his parents, that you would watch over them, Lord, that you would encourage them, Lord, you would uh, give grace to them, Lord, that you would uh, give them wisdom where, Lord, they need. And Lord, I pray that you would, and in all cases, Lord, um, Lord, just be there for them. Lord, may they lean on you. May they trust you. And Lord, I pray again that as we, as we dedicate um, Quinn, that Lord, you would, you would watch over her. And so Lord, right now I dedicate Quinn, Anna, Foster to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. There you go. Thank you. You did, you did really good. You did good. Yeah. Yeah.
And now Ellie. Hey. Good luck. Yeah. Ah. Did you hear that? Good luck. Hey. Hey, Ellie, can you say hi to everybody out there? Can you wave? Yeah. There's some good looking people out there, isn't there? Yeah. Just over a year old and running around and everything. All right. Let's pray. Lord, I lift up Ellie to you. Lord, I thank you for the life and the joy that you've brought into the foster household through her. Lord, I pray again that you would, that you would bless Ron and Natalie, Lord, that you would help them as they, as they parent, Lord, and Lord, all the wisdom that they need, you would just pour into their lives. Father, I pray that you would... Um, Lord, be there in, in the tough times and the good times. And Lord, we know you would, but Lord, may, may they see you. May they trust you. And Lord, especially here for Ellie, Lord, that she would be able to come to know you at a young age. That she would, you would work through her life, Lord, that she would grow up and serve you. And Lord, be a young lady who, is, who calls on you. And so, Father, we just pray that at this point and that, and that you, would, you would watch over her, protect her from Satan and his schemes. And Lord, now I dedicate Ellie, Grace Foster to you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's give all these a great good hand. And thank you. You can go, you can go sit. You know, that's like a scene from a good movie. It never gets old, right? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, that look on, on his face just cracks me up. And uh, well, welcome uh, to Friends Church. We're in our uh, week three, I believe it is, of Christmas Unexpected. And we're looking forward to not just uh, today, but next weekend. I, I just, it's, it's amazing. I woke up this morning and thought, wow, Christmas is just over a week away. I'm in big trouble. Yeah, yeah, maybe you have that feeling too. I also woke up this morning thinking, boy, I'm really tired um, because I was up late last night, as you might have been, watching the Browns, right? And, uh, and I'm really in big trouble. But no, feel, uh, not that late, but uh, it was, uh, I guess when you win, when you, win it, you feel energized and all of that. So yeah, that's, that's good news. But uh, so today we are here and, and week three of Christmas Unexpected. You know, Christmas Unexpected is... Uh, what were the Jews and the people of Israel, the God's people, expecting from their Messiah, and what did they get? And we noticed that over these weeks, sometimes they just don't match up. They don't, they, it, it wasn't exactly what they expected when Christ came. And today we are in the book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah, four, four books from the end 
of the Bible. Zephaniah, it says in the first verse of the first chapter, was written when Josiah was king of Judah, which was between 600 and 600, 640 B.C. to about 602 B.C. or 609 B.C. So um, actually Zephaniah was about 200 years before Malachi, who we talked about last week. Malachi was written last week after the exiles had returned, after the temple had been rebuilt. Zephaniah is written before the exile even happened. Zephaniah was a prophet who came on the scene after the northern tribes had been conquered, after they had been conquered and had been, and had been dispersed but before the southern kingdom had been conquered, before Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon had entered Jerusalem. And he's in this, in this time in between. He's seen what's happened in the northern kingdom, and he sees the same thing happen, potentially, in the southern kingdom. He sees through God's eyes uh, the sin in the, in, the, in the community, in the nation, and he knows what that leads to. And so we look at Zephaniah, and you start reading this book, and you just come to the conclusion very quickly that he got up on the wrong side of the bed. When you start reading this, you say, this is the grumpiest guy I've ever seen. Grumpier and, and just, uh, you know, in a bad mood, but yet he's delivering the word of the Lord. 80% of the book is bad news. 80% of the book is, I really don't want to hear this. But this morning, we're in the 20%, which is good, isn't it? In fact, in the end of chapter 3, and there's only three chapters of Zephaniah, he starts to see this restoration of God's people. He sees God's, the, the people not have, having gone out into captivity, having been taken away and their freedoms taken away and, and their, their temple destroyed and Jerusalem destroyed. But he sees beyond that and he starts to see God's people restored. And so we come here and, 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 and we see that, that he starts to see the, the vision of what it, restoration really means. And then beginning in verse 14, we read out of chapter 3 of Zephaniah what, what Tim and Timmy read for us earlier. And we see the prophet at this point, this gloom, doom, walked up, woke up on the wrong side of the bed prophet, all of a sudden starts breaking out in a hymn, in a hymn of rejoicing. After, after knowing that his people are going to be restored. And he says this in verse 14. Sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear harm. And you might, you might notice in there that Zephaniah is referring to God and he refers to him as the king of Israel. Israel, Judah, the God's people had no king at this time. They were, they were under the, still under the thumb of the Medes and the Persians and, 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 the, um, and Darius who had let them come home even when, when this was fulfilled. So they weren't still free. There was still no kingdom and so he recognizes that it is God, the Lord, who is the king. And he says, he is with you. And we know at Christmas time here, we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. And he says, this king is not just a king that is out there. It's not a king who is removed. He's not a king that's distant, but he's a king that's with you. 
never again to fear harm. It's, it's interesting as you read through this, though. As, as, you're a, as you're an individual that might be reading this, because the, this scripture, like most prophecy, has come true, and it's come true at different points in time, and it is still to come true. And that's what sometimes makes prophecy a little difficult, especially now, looking back, we have some 2020 vision, hindsight. But if you're sitting here and you're saying, what are you talking about? Well, yes, they, the nation was restored. The nation came back, but boy, were they really, has he taken away all their punishment? Has he really turned back their enemy? And so some of it was fulfilled 200 years later when they came back. Some of this prophecy is fulfilled by Christ when he comes. And some of it is yet to be fulfilled. And we look at prophecy and we look at it that way. A prophecy that's fulfilled but yet to be completed. He goes on in verse 16, he says this, on that day they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion, do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God who is with you, the mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Notice those words. The mighty warrior who saves. The mighty warrior who saves. The powerful one. The one who has all authority, all power is the one who is going to come and is going to deliver and is going to save. And he says in here a few things about God. And it's always interesting. I kind of love reading through these old uh, minor prophets and and seeing what they have to say and and seeing how God reveals himself to them and to us. Because there's three things in here. He says that mighty warrior, he takes delight in you. Have you thought about that? God takes delight in you. He loves you. And he rejoices over you. Can you I don't know what your, what your view of God is. I don't know when you think of God, you, you know, if you, especially if you think of Father, you might think of some stoic individual. But here it says God rejoices over you. When God looks at you, he says, look what I made. I love this creation. I love who I've created in in my image. And I love you and he loves you. And what this is saying is this God, and this is the good news, is on our side. This God is on our side. The mighty warrior, the warrior, the one who saves, is on our side. Hallelujah. And throughout the Old Testament, we see this picture of this mighty God. Sometimes it's a mighty God. Sometimes it's the mighty one. Sometimes it's the mighty hand of God. But we see this picture of God as mighty, as strong. And the prophets then spoke of this coming Messiah as a mighty one. It wasn't, it wasn't um, surprising because we know if we read through the scriptures that this prophet and the, or, the, or this coming mighty one, the anointed one, the Messiah, would come from the lineage of David. And while David was a shepherd and a, and a poet, David was known mostly for his warrior aspects, for beating up Goliath, for conquering, for making Israel strong. And so they were expecting this person who would come 
to be a mighty warrior, a powerful one, a king. Even the wise men, remember that? When they came to Herod in, in, the, in the scriptures, they come and said, we are here seeking the king of the Jews. So they were thinking king. They were thinking someone who would establish a, a, a kingdom here on earth. But it wasn't just them, it was Herod too. In fact, Herod was scared, nervous when he heard that. He says, hey, tell me who, where this guy's at so that I can worship him. He really wanted to kill him because he viewed him as a threat. Because they were all expecting a military, a king, a leader, a general, someone who would come in and would change things on the outside, change their circumstances. In fact, there was a prayer, and there still is a prayer that is said every day in Jewish worship. It's the Amidah. The Amidah is prayed at the three times of prayer, 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, and 3 o'clock. The Amidah was composed in about 450 B.C., supposedly by, partly by Ezra and Nehemiah. And it has 19, it originally had 18 blessings in it. And now it has 19 blessings. They added one sometime after, after the temple uh, was destroyed in, in, in 70 A.D. But every day, every day, at 9 and 12 and 3 and then other times during special times of worship, Every Jewish person would, and man would turn and would put on whatever they would put on at that point in time. Now they would put on their prayer, their prayer, the, the shalit, and they'd put it on and they face east. I, I think this is east, right? Yes, this is not my best view, I know. But they, they would face east and they repeat this, this amadah, which is a standing prayer, the standing prayer. And they would put their feet together. And they would, you've seen the bobbing sometimes. And we saw that a lot when we were in Israel. And they would face east and they prayer. And it's a silent prayer too. And so it would be a silent prayer. And they would start these series of, of blessings. And about number 15, they would pray for this coming messianic king, the Messiah. And their prayer would, was this speedily bring the offspring of your servant David to us and let him be exalted by your saving power. For we wait all day long for your salvation. Blessed are you, O Lord, who brings salvation to flourish. Every day, three times a day, bring this descendant of David. Bring the salvation. Bring the one who is mighty to save. Bring him into our presence. We want the mighty one. It was Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We quote many times at, at Christmas, and we will later. It says, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. One of the four names given there for God in, in this prophetic utterance is Mighty God, El Gabor, Mighty God. And that's what they were expecting. This was the God. This was the anointed one. This was the Messiah they were expecting. A mighty God to come in. A mighty God, a, a warrior king to march in. Because in Jesus' day especially, they were very familiar 
with great military men. They were very familiar with what it would take to, to conquer or to change their situation. Over those 400 years of, of during the Old Testament and the New Testament, Israel was conquered again and again. And one time was about 332 by a man you've name you've probably all heard very much, who the man who was known as potentially the greatest general ever, Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great never lost a battle. And he took, his goal was to basically conquer the entire world and he was doing a good job at it. And he, was, he would come in and he would, he would conquer and then he would move on and conquer and move on and conquer. Unfortunately, he couldn't conquer what eventually nails us all and that's death. And he died at 32 for some unknown cause. The kingdom broke apart. And other folks came in and tried to rule, and, and it, was, it, was a, it, was a, it was just a, here, whoever's got the power, you know, might makes right. And whoever had the might would rule. And finally, in 63 BC, the Romans came. Pompey led this invasion conquered Jerusalem. And what, what, really, what really set off some of the religious rulers is because, because he, was, he was conquering this new land and, and you always like to see the spoils up close, right? You always like to take a good look at what you just got. And he says, I want to see the temple. He says, I want to see the temple and I want to see the holy of holies. And here's this Gentile defiling their temple, walking into the holy place, walking into the holy of holies. And, and the, the anger arose. And during this time, as the, as the Romans would rule, groups would come up. And Messiahs, so-called Messiahs, would start to build up following. And they would, they would try to raise up followers that would challenge Caesar. But it never happened. It never happened. But they were ready. They were ready, ready, ready for this leader. Why? What was he going to do? Look at the rest of that passage of Zephaniah, verses 18 through 20. It describes what God was going to do. It says, I'll remove from you all who mourn over the loss of the appointed festivals, which is a burden and reproach for you. At that time, I will deal with all those who oppress you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they, are, they have suffered. I will gather you at the time. I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth. I will restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. There are eight I wills in there. Eight I wills. I will deal with those who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I'll give them praise and honor. And then in this verse here we see, I will gather you. I will bring you home. I will give you honor. I will restore your fortunes. Or I restore your fortunes. That's eight wills plus the one I restore. I restore. They're high expectations. High expectations when the Messiah would come. And so you can imagine the doubting, maybe some the frustration, and some the dismissal of Jesus when he comes and says things like he does when he makes statements like this. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
Blessed are the meek. Sounds like a rather wimpy warrior king to me, doesn't it? (laughs) Sounds like a rather sad case of a warrior king. It's interesting, though. In this verse, there is a bit of a military context to it. For when Jesus says this, he quotes Psalm 37, 11, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. And that, that word for inherit means to possess or to occupy. And it's the same word that God uses when he tells the, the Jewish nation as they're about ready to enter into the promised land and to cross the Jordan and to take it over. He says, go cross the Jordan and possess it because I'm going to give it to you. And so even though this meek sounds weak, there's, a, there's an aspect to it of, of, of that, that God will give it. In fact, we know the definition, or maybe we don't, but the definition of meekness that I really like is, is power under control. And the, the, the Messiah is coming, and he's going to have power, and it's going to be power under control. Kind of like a nuclear reaction. The, the reactor produces and controls the release of energy from the splitting of the atoms of uranium. You know, as long as it's controlled, everything's fine. But when it's not controlled, we have what's called a meltdown. <laughs> and when power is not under control, it can lead to meltdown. But, but, but here, power under control, meekness. He said, we will inherit the land. But he goes on. Jesus goes on and makes other statements. Right after, right after that, he says this. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye or tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist the evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek also. Ah, that's not what I expected. That's not what we expected from a warrior king. If someone strikes you, give them the other cheek and let them strike you. But Jesus taught it and Jesus lived it. So much so that John the Baptist, when he was in prison, began to question if Jesus was really the Messiah. He began to wonder, turn the other cheek, meek, is this this really the one? And he sent his men to Jesus and said, are you the one? Are you the one? Jesus didn't say, hey, look at my army. He didn't say, here's my battle plans. (laughs) He didn't say none of that. He said, look, look at the lame walking, look at the blind seeing, look at the deaf hearing, look at the dead rising, and hear the good news being preached. That's my kingdom. A little bit later, Jesus turned the question on the disciples. And it wasn't, who are you, which was John was asking. He was saying, who am I? Who am I? Who do you think I am? And, and, they, and he first he said, who do people say I am? They said, oh, you're John the Baptist. You're Elijah. You're you know, one of those great prophets. And, and he said, but who do you say that I am? And it was Peter that said, you are the Christ. The Greek word for Christ is anointed one. The same as the Hebrew word for Messiah, the anointed one. He was saying, you are the Messiah. You are the one sent. And Jesus immediately responded by saying, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. 
Because, Mark 8, 31, then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, be killed and rise after three days. Just when you think he got God figured out. Peter, who had answered the question, who had told Jesus, I believe you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, okay, don't tell anybody. Then proceeded to tell Jesus what the Messiah was supposed to do. (laughs) He he said, Peter took Jesus aside and said, you know, you're saying you're the Messiah, but you're not acting much like one. You're not, you're not acting what we expected. The Bible says Jesus rebuked him. It says, get thee behind me, Satan. Yeah, that's a pretty strong rebuke. You see, Jesus was not here to conquer. He was here to save. He was not here to be a military leader, but to lead a spiritual revolt. Revolt. In fact, Paul summarizes it well in Ephesians chapter 6, 12, when he says this, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The front line of Jesus' battle was not in Jerusalem. It wasn't anywhere in Israel. It wasn't anywhere in Rome or wasn't anywhere in Europe. The front line of the battle Jesus came to fight was a spiritual battle. It was a spiritual battle. It wasn't land that Jesus came to claim. It wasn't property that Jesus came to claim. It wasn't, it wasn't position that Jesus claim, came to claim. It was souls. He says, this is a spiritual battle. I'm not here for the property. I'm not here, I'm not here for the land. I'm here for souls. The enemy is not Caesar. The enemy is not Caesar. The enemy is Satan. You see, if Jesus would have came and if he would have tackled the, the Caesar problem, tackled the Rome problem, he would have been tackling a symptom, a symptom and not the root of the problem. How many times do we do that in our lives? How many times do we attack the symptom and not the root? How many times do we say, well, God, if you would come as a mighty warrior and you'd get rid of my boss (laughs) or my spouse. No, we don't say spouse. (laughs) You would get rid of this government. You would get rid of this leader. You You would get rid of this issue in my life. And he says, but that's the symptom of the problem. The problem is a sin problem. The the problem's a spiritual problem. The problem that I've come to address as warrior king is one that you can't address by dealing with the symptoms. You gotta get to the root of the problem. 
The enemy is out there. And the enemy is still attacking. The enemy, even though, even though you think it's Caesar, that's not who it is. Paul writes in Colossians 2.14 when he talks about Jesus coming and Jesus' victory. He says, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet away, cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Jesus says, I must suffer to Peter. I've come to suffer. I've come to give my life. Peter says, no, 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 no. He says, yes, 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 yes. And verse 15 says this. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Yes, hallelujah. When I was in high school, our mascot was the Warriors. And we had a cheer that I probably a lot of you did too, but for us it went this way, V-I-C-T-O-R-Y, that's the warrior battle cry. Yeah. And I can see here, what is, what is victory? The victory here, Jesus had no interest in taking on Caesar. In fact, he said, render to Caesar what Caesar has given to him. He says, I got a much bigger battle. I can't deal with the symptoms. I got to deal with the core issue. And the core issue is this Satan who has, who has, who has caused this sin in our lives, who has, who has sending us on a trail down to, down to hell, and he's after us. And he said, I have come. And Paul says, you were dead, but now you're alive. You were dead, but now you're alive. And it's because he canceled their charges because God took it by nailing them to the cross, nailing Jesus to the cross, being a sacrifice for our sins. And he disarmed. He won the victory. The victory that they were expecting to be won with swords was won on a cross. The victory that they, were, that they were expecting to come, that we would expect maybe to come through swords or through bombs or through some other manner of warfare was one through a grave that is now empty. He is a mighty king. He's powerful, but he's power under control. So my prayer for you today, my prayer for you today is as you think in your life, what is it? Where have I been dealing with symptoms? And I need to deal with the issue. I need to deal with the spiritual issue. I need to deal with what Christ came to deal with. My prayer for you is the same prayer that Paul had for his people in Ephesians chapter one, verses 19 through 21. The prayer goes like this. I also pray for you that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and sealed him in the place of, seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realm. That's power. Anybody can pick up a sword and fight. But the power to raise Christ from the dead goes beyond anything we can imagine. And that power is the power that we can understand. And what I like this here, remember I told you that God's on our side? I said that, I said that, remember? You said, remember I said that? Look at this. It says, because of the incredible greatness of God's power for who? Us. It's for us. That power is transferable. <laughs> It's transferable power. It comes from God and it, and, it, and it comes into our lives. Second Peter 1 3 says this his divine power.
power has given us everything we need for godly life. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. God has come in his power not to fight the symptoms, but to cause. And that same power is available to us to live godly lives, to fight the same battles, because our battle is the same battle. Our battle is against not flesh, but the powers. Now, I know sometimes it seems like we're not winning those battles. And you know, um, although it was a victory for Jesus, Satan's still around up to his tricks, right? Still trying. And we're going to deal with that the next couple, next couple messages. You need to be here for that. Satan's still, still trying to get the victory. But victory's been won. And then the apostle adds this. Now, he, Jesus, is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world, but in the world to come. He is the victorious warrior. He is the mighty God. And it was accomplished not on a battlefield, but on a cross. He came as a king, a king in a manger. King of kings and Lord of lords. Even on his cross was assigned king of the Jews. Actually, he said king of the Jews. It was a little mocking. It was an accusation. But he was never more powerful than when he was power under control there on the cross. And he was never more powerful than he rose from the dead. And that power is for you and for me today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you came. That Lord, you came not as some military leader here today, gone tomorrow. Lord, but you came to, to give your life for a victory that would last for all time. Lord, that would be for all people. We claim that victory today in you, Lord. Lord, I know sometimes we're still looking for people to come in and solve our problems, a mighty warrior and come in and take care of everything. But Lord, we pray that we could lean on you as we, as we deal with the, the spiritual issues that are plaguing us. And this morning, Lord, we just lay at your feet. But let, Lord, we rejoice. We rejoice that we serve a God who is victorious, a God who is mighty, a warrior king who we can rely on and we can, we can have power through. And we'll give you honor and praise in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand together as we sing? Let's celebrate that victory this morning. The head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now. The Savior now to Victory, all praise. 
Would you pray with me? And would you close your eyes and allow God to use your imagination? The enemy is at the gates and just invite you just to yourself under your, under your breath to put a name to the enemy that seeks to devour you. Maybe the name of your enemy is cancer. Maybe the, the name of your enemy is brokenness. Maybe the name of your enemy is homelessness or fear. The enemy is at the gates. Holy God, in this moment, as we face our enemy, we claim victory. It is ridiculous to claim victory while the enemy is right there at the gates, but you are the mighty warrior, God, and that you are for us, not against us. And so we claim victory. We stand on the promise of victory that whatever we might face, whatever is overwhelming us, whatever causes great fear in this moment, it will not overtake us. It will not devour us. It will not defeat us because we belong to you. Lord, help us in this moment to stand on your promise of victory. Whatever we might be facing, whatever our loved ones might be facing, whatever our, our, our society is facing, whatever the community of faith is facing, no matter what our world is facing, Lord, we stand on the promise of your victory. Not on our own accord or by our own strength or might, but because of Jesus who died on the third day, but rose. Thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice and for your victory and that by your grace, your victory is ours. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We are uh, so grateful uh, for this uh, season and not only what we're going to be celebrating together on Christmas Eve uh, at our three services um, at three, five, and seven, but um, already what's, what's taken place, your generosity. Uh, just want to just mention, lift up a, a word of thank you to those that participated in our women's luncheon. Uh, I believe over $7,000 raised for uh, an Aruka home. And um, if you're not familiar with uh, the Aruka home, that's uh, plans. It's a, it's a home, it's a residential facility for, for women uh, uh, facing, uh, looking for recovery from, from all kinds of uh, addictions. And uh, those plans are, have been underway for quite some time. They've been in the process of raising money. We're just so glad to be partners with them and to, to see that take place. Um, we've just seen the, the angel tree ornaments flying off uh, the tables and uh, 
last week we had uh, for Project Hope, the homeless shelter in Lake County. Uh, many of you took the, that as well, and uh, you've just been so generous, and we're, we're just so grateful for all that you have, have given. Um, in this new year, there's lots to be excited about, and one of the things I just want to make mention is our Upward basketball program. We are looking for uh, uh, some more coaches. If, if God's really moving your heart to help uh, with um, Upward basketball, uh, we would greatly uh, appreciate it. And as I mentioned, um, Christmas Eve services, 3, 5, and 7, a great time. Uh, to not only share, but also to invite people who may not have a church home or might be, you never know where they are in their faith. Maybe they're just waiting for an invitation from you. So just consider how God might be calling you uh, to speak to those around you to, to join together for our Christmas Eve services. Uh, don't forget that our offering boxes are in the back where you can drop your Connect cards or your offering. Uh, thank you so much for uh, for coming, for being a part of our, our faith community here uh, today. Don't forget to uh, talk, connect with each other here before, before you leave. And go in the victory of Jesus Christ, because his victory is our victory as children of God. Go in his peace. Amen.